In the same way that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, a structure is only as stable as the foundation upon which it is built. And an ideal foundation starts with a perfect cornerstone. As a cornerstone of our faith, Jesus Christ and His Gospel teach us about our nature, our divine identity and origin. And armed with this understanding, we can strive more every day to follow in His footsteps. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I think it's really important to have prophets and apostles, especially today. There's a lot of competing voices in the world, and having them helps me to stay on the path by having clarity um, with the doctrine of Christ. I think apostles and prophets help bring a modern-day look to how we learn the gospel, how we perceive it. Um, although it's fun to read, you know, and it's insightful to read things from the past, it's also nice to have a modern-day look on things. I remember recently President uh, Nelson gave an apostolic blessing to everyone in the whole world. And when he did that, I felt it in my heart. I just felt that it was so good, and I felt the power coming through. And that helped me get through just really chaotic times that we were going through at that time. Having prophets and apostles helps us in every way to stay on the covenant path because they can see in advance, they can warn us, they can tell us things that we can do to prepare, and they can help us come to know our Savior Jesus Christ. And that covenant path, once we enter that, we really are tethered to our Savior. So prophets and apostles are the guides. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Dr. Sean Hopkin. Dr. Hopkin is an associate professor of ancient scripture at BYU. He received his PhD in Hebrew studies with a focus on medieval Hebrew, Arabic, and Spanish literature from the University of Texas at Austin. Sean, welcome. It's good to be here. And our special guest today is Sister Elaine S. Dalton. Elaine served as the Young Women General President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from 2008 to 2013. She writes and speaks to women and young women about their identity, purpose, and potential. Elaine, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. It's a privilege to be with both of you and talk about something that I love. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we are going to discuss today are first, the church is founded on apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And second, putting my divine identity first. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Sean and Elaine in footnotes. Okay, Sean, as we jump into the book of Ephesians, what sort of background can you provide? And then how does this topic, the church is founded on apostles and prophets with Christ being the chief cornerstone, fit into the book of Ephesians? 
Good. So uh, Ephesians is actually, one scholar said, the quintessence of Paul or the quintessence of the epistles, the crown of Paulism, the queen of the epistles. So this is this is a big deal, this epistle. Why is, is. that? Why would someone so, say that? Well, and, and then the other thing that I'll, I'll answer that with is that there's this sort of spectrum of Pauline teachings with Galatians sort of on one end of that spectrum, sort of focusing on uh, personal salvation, faith, works, grace, those kinds of topics. And then here, Paul is on the opposite end of things that matter to him, uh, talking about the organization of the church, right? What is the church of Christ gonna look like? And so because of that, you see these subjects that matter very much to Latter-day Saints. He's training really a broad region of the church in, in what this is supposed to look like. And you know, Sean, it almost felt to me like he was speaking to me, to us in the latter days, like this was a message for, for us right now as to how to navigate this world, how to uh, approach our challenges, who we are, the structure of, of, of things that will help us, guide us, keep us on the, on the path. So for me, it was just almost like he was speaking right now to me. And one of the things that I noticed is that it speaks to issues that we're facing right now in our, in our whole society. I love that sentence where it says, now therefore you are no more strangers or foreigners, but one. And so he's talking about gathering all this diverse people uh, in Ephesus. I, I would be so excited to see what the church looked like then. Mm. But we're not all different anymore because we have this commonality in Christ and in the church and in the structure of apostles and prophets. And I think the only hope for the world is the restored gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ when it comes to unity and focus and building. Uh, can we walk through some of these verses and, and look for how we can use this imagery of building a structure as we talk about the foundation of the church? Perfect. So let's go to Ephesians 2. We'll start in verses 19 and go through 21. Now, before we read, something I think to have in our minds that we might not notice, and so I'm going to say it so then we'll notice it, is the amazing, sort of fascinating, brilliant way that Paul is using building imagery talking about humans. Right. And so buildings are dead things, right? They're structures, but they're helpful because they, they support life, they organize things, they keep things, you know, less chaotic. Humans are also have their own organization, but they're living, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we've got here is a building that's alive, or you might say it's populated with people, okay. right? So uh, verse 19, now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. It's really beautiful what he's doing. He's talking to those that feel like outsiders. Yeah. So if any of us have ever sat in a sacrament meeting and felt like we just don't perfectly belong, we're a little different than the people sitting around us, right? Yeah. Then that, that is, he's talking to you. He's talking to us, talking to me. So fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So we've got, you got a house, but he's talking about people and are built, these people. So a foundation is a, like a cement thing in our day, right? Or rocks, you know, big stones in their day. But this foundation is made up of living 
people, apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the living God, being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth. So you got a building growing unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit. So he's using temple imagery uh, and he's using sort of this uh, uh, leadership in the church kind of imagery. It's really beautiful language here. Thank you so much. As we talk about the importance of, of prophets and apostles, I would love to hear from my audience on when have the words of a prophet or an apostle helped draw you closer to Jesus Christ? Stephanie. I love what we're being taught lately on the hear him. For me, we've always been taught, you know, listen to this, read this, whatever, but it's like, the prophets come out and say, really hear him. Are you hearing him? How are you hearing him? What are you doing to hear him? And you have to really stop and go, how am I hearing him? <laughs> and for me, it's been very, very emotional because I've been through a lot of stuff in my life, especially the last few years. And, and to really go, okay, Heavenly Father, talk to me, talk to me. And I have heard him many, many different ways in my heart, in my ears, in my feelings, in my emotions. People will say things to me and I'm like, that's the answer I was looking for. Thank you. So we need to be very, I choose to be very alert and awake and aware of how's it coming to me? Mm -hmm. Because it's coming to me in all different ways. And I know that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ are going, Stephanie, this is for you. So you need to hear him. Stephanie, how did you gain that ability to trust and, and count on the words of a prophet? Most of that came from my parents. Okay. They were they were so great. My dad was such an incredible scholar. And he's always like, do you hear what Christ is saying in there? Do you know what he's <laughs> saying to you? And he would always take certain scriptures and refer that back to me. Do you hear what he's saying to you? And just recently, as Sister Dalton was saying, these scriptures have become so alive because mm -hmm. this is for us right now in this day. And I think that's part of why we've been taught to hear him because he's coming loud and clear through these scriptures. And I'm so grateful as a child being taught to read those scriptures and try to put it into my life. What is this doing for me? Oh yeah, it's telling <laughs> us exactly what to do now. Thank you, Stephanie. Elaine, you've had an opportunity to work with many prophets and apostles in your church service. What have you learned about them and their role in Christ's church? I feel so blessed to know those men personally, to have sat with them in council, mm. to have looked into their eyes and to actually be in the room when they have received revelation for the church. And I wish everyone could hear a prophet pray for the membership of the church and for specific groups like the young women like the women of the church, if you could hear a prophet, seer, and revelator pray, you would be changed forever. And that's one of the things I wish everyone could experience. I'm so grateful that we're led and we can follow a prophet, seer, and revelator. Mm. And, and Paul speaks to the role of prophets and apostles and, and the protection that we can receive. Can we look at some of those verses and talk about how we benefit from listening and following to prophets and apostles? So let's then go to Ephesians 4 and 11 is 
sort of the start of these verses that are, speak so powerfully, as you were saying, Elaine, to the Latter-day Saints. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for, and then this, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and there's that word ministry that we use in, you know, instead of home teaching and visiting teaching, we minister, minister, right? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and this I think is what you're referring to, Ben, Mm -hmm. how does this work, why does this building matter, and, and how long, as we would read it, how long do we need these kinds of offices until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then there's some more in verse 14 that we may want to refer to, but these are just really beautiful. The role of prophets and apostles is to testify and, and stand as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Paul talks about Christ as we go back to this, this building this structure, how is Christ the cornerstone of the church? How is he the cornerstone of our lives? Do you know, I thought it was really wonderful when President Nelson got up and spoke about the fact that we refer to ourselves as the Church of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I think it's equally wonderful that, that here in the, the early church, we're taught that one of the tests of a true church is to have the foundation of apostles and prophets, which we do. But then President Nelson went even further. He also made Christ, the symbol of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, uh, part of everything, every bit of church literature, everything that we stand for. And I think we've always known it in our hearts that, that Christ is the reason But I think President Nelson made it possible to just bring that front and center that this is his church. We are his disciples. This is what we believe. And this is why we do everything we do, so. Elaine, you you brought up President Nelson and with the change of the symbol, we have that explanation. President Nelson said, to help us remember him and to identify the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as the Lord's church, we are pleased to introduce a symbol that will signify the central place of Jesus Christ in his church. This symbol includes the name of the church contained within a cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. At the center of the symbol is a representation of Torvaldsen's marble statue of the Christus. It portrays the resurrected living Lord reaching out to embrace all who will come unto him. Symbolically, Jesus Christ is standing under an arch. The arch reminds us of the resurrected Savior emerging from the tomb on the third day following his crucifixion. This symbol should feel familiar to many as we have long identified the restored gospel with the living resurrected Christ. What are some of your thoughts on President Nelson's explanation of this beautiful symbol? You know, I was thinking as you were talking about that, and I was thinking back to Ephesians 2, how 
beautiful that it's talking about. We build on the foundations of apostles and prophets. Christ is the chief cornerstone. Here's a modern day prophet mm -hmm. in a living building that changes and grows and improves over time talking about how we need to center ourselves more on the chief corners. You see how the building fits together. It works together fitly, right? Oh, yeah. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And, and here it is portrayed so beautifully, yeah. right? You've got Christ looking almost like he's in a building, right? Yeah. With that uh, arch above him. He is at the center of everything we do. Thank you so much. I, I'm really excited to, to continue talking about this later on in footnotes. Thanks so much for sharing so far on our first topic. And for the audience, you've been great. Thanks for being here and for sharing your thoughts with us as well. And for those at home, what does it mean to you to have Jesus Christ as your cornerstone? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm a teacher, I'm a dog mom, I'm a sister, I'm a wife, but most importantly, I'm a daughter of a loving Heavenly Father. I am a daughter of God, and He loves me and I love Him. And every morning when I say my prayers, I ask Heavenly Father to help me be a ch an angel in His hands. I'm a child of God, a loving God, a loving Father who um, gave me an opportunity to come to this world this planet and learn to try and become like Him. A sense of identity influences what we do, what I do, and how I act, because it helps me prioritize things. I try to think about what is the most important role that I have, and where does the Lord want me to be, and where can I do the best good, and, and I think that's probably about how it works that way. I think knowing especially that I'm a child of God helps me to have an inner peace and confidence that I can't get anywhere else. I also think that it really helps me to see other people in a different light and to have more patience and kindness for them. The second topic we're gonna to discuss today is putting my divine identity first. So Sean, what sort of background can you give us now as we jump back into the book of Ephesians as it pertains to this topic? So really what's going on here, and we mentioned this a little bit earlier, is that you have lots of Gentile Christians coming into the church and being baptized, and they, they feel uncomfortable. What's their identity? What's their place? Mm -hmm. and, and Paul is trying to encourage them, you have a divine identity, you matter, you are not less than these Jewish Christians that are probably pretty intimidating for them. You're, you're equal with them, God has a purpose for you. So come out of the world and he's gonna train them how to come out of the world, and, but he's really trying to build them up and say, God knows you and you have a purpose and here's who you are. I would love to hear from the audience, who are you? Christy. First, I'm a child of God, for sure. But you know, I'm also a soldier of God. Paul talks about in Ephesians, putting on your whole armor mm -hmm. of God. And that's kind of what I've always felt when I read my scriptures, when I say my prayer, I'm putting on my armor. I'm becoming a soldier of God. Christy, how has the Holy Ghost helped you to come to know who you really are? I'm a convert to the church. Wow. And so the first time I read through the, the Book of Mormon, it took me two weeks. And the missionaries that was teaching me was like, oh, we challenge you to do this. <laughs> but I went through it and then I, I knelt down because I took, you know, the, the, the 
the little test at the end that says, kneel down and ask in, in faith, and you will know. I knelt down and I asked, is this the true church? And without a doubt, I just got this such a warm confirmation of, yes, mm-hmm. it is. And I jumped up and I thought, oh no, what do I do now? You know. And I knelt two more times and I asked the same thing. The second time I got, yes, this is. The third time I knelt, I got, I've already told you twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the Holy Ghost definitely is our supporter. He is there for us. He's the one that helps us have that, that testimony that we need. Thank you so much, Christy. Sean, what verses in these chapters point us to what Paul is trying to teach about our divine identity? Let's go to chapter one, and we'll look at verses four through five. These are sort of famous verses, then we'll go to one other spot. Okay, so verse four, according as he hath chosen us in him, so it's in Christ, right? Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So there are some responsibilities that are placed upon us because he has foreknown us and mm-hmm. chosen us even before the world began. And uh, you can already begin to hear these beautiful Latter-day Saint understandings uh, that we were with God and he knew us. Mm-hmm. He also foreknew us in the sense that God knows all things, right? All things are present to God. But then let's read the next verse. Having predestinated us, and that word is pro or rizo in the Greek. So you can hear sort of some uh, theological tendencies some, uh, in how that's translated. Pro, you could say pre, or you could say for, right? Orizo, ordained, foreordained or predestined. You can see how the King James Version does predestined and uh, Latter-day Saints would understand this, uh, the translation being more appropriately what we would call being foreordained. So appointed beforehand, declared beforehand, even ordained beforehand. Uh, Having foreordained or predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Christ, Jesus Christ to himself. So you're going to be adopted into the family of Christ and his name is going to be placed upon you. You'll become part of his covenant family according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's his power. It's his grace that allows this to happen wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved who is Christ. So uh, this idea, God knows you and you feel insecure. You feel like you don't matter maybe, like you're an afterthought, like you're one of the unimportant ones. Nope, God knew you beforehand and he chose you beforehand. He prepared you for this. And if he prepared you for this, he's prepared you for more than this as well. You know, there are a lot of voices in the world today that will try to to tell you who you are. As we focus on understanding our true identity, we had a question that came in from from one of our viewers. And uh, Elaine, I would love to hear your response to this question. Hi, my name is Michaela Iverson and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. And my question is, how can we help all of those around us, no matter what they believe in or what their belief system is, know that part of their divine identity is that they are beautiful children of loving heavenly parents who love them unconditionally? All right. That's a, that's a huge question. And it's interesting because again, in my previous calling, we'd had the young women would stand up and they'd say the young women theme, which the very first line in the old one and also in the new theme 
gives us our identity. Mm -hmm. And now our identity, we say, I am a beloved daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and destiny. And I observed that so many young women could stand and say that every week for six years and come out of young women and not know who they were. Mm. Because the world ke keeps pounding on us and telling us we're not enough, we're not good enough, we're not this enough. And, and so I think it really takes some quiet prayer and reflection and asking our Father in heaven to help us understand who we are. I think the Holy Ghost plays a huge part in that in just revealing to everyone, not just members of the church, but to everyone, their, their divine potential, their divine mission, and how precious they are as sons and daughters of God. So I guess I would urge my friends to pray, to have some quiet time, and to ask the question. Most of the questions get answered when they're sincere mm. for, by the Lord. And President Nelson teaches us about that. He says, I am not saying that other designations and identifiers are not significant. I am simply saying that no identifier should displace, replace, or take priority over these three enduring designations, child of God, child of the covenant, and disciple of Jesus Christ. Any identifier not compatible with those three basic designations will ultimately disappoint and let a person down because it does not have the power to lead to eternal life and the celestial kingdom. Worldly identifiers will never affirm divine DNA and divine potential. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the importance of understanding who we are, how should we act? How should we behave once we come to that understanding? Well, again, I think, I think that when we do know whose we are and who we are, it changes our attitudes and our actions and our interactions. Everything changes when we understand who we are. I think that's just absolutely critical for all of us to, to know. And Paul starts out saying, do you really understand who you are? This is so empowering to read this. I want to read him every day. <laughs> it's ennobling. Um, it is, yeah, it's yeah. ennobling and enabling, mm. it really is. I would love to hear from the audience on how has coming to the understanding of who you are, a son or daughter of God, changed your actions and behaviors? Stevie. I've been a teacher for the last five years and I've taught over 140 students during that time. Mm. I was very overwhelmed with the first list of students I received the week before school started. And I wasn't sure how I was gonna help 29 little kids to be their best selves, right? And I very distinctly remember having the feeling of, these are my children, and that's all I needed. I was able to see those kids in a very secular position, right? I couldn't tell them they were children of God. I couldn't develop that maybe in a way we would at church, but it helped me to be able to see their potential and to see um, God's love for each of them individually, no matter what challenges they had. Stevie, how has that affected your ability to see who you are? The love that I've been able to feel for those kids um, is some of the purest love that I've ever been able to experience. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, so just imagining what I feel for them 
I can't even imagine how much my Heavenly Father feels that for me. And it really helps me to remember that He's aware of me and He loves me and He sees the potential that I can have someday. That's beautiful. Thanks, Stevie. Will you talk to us a little bit about just why is it so important? Why does it matter so much for us to truly understand who we are? You know, that, that's a question I ask my mom because I don't know if any of you have had the same kind of mom that I did, but whenever I leave the house to go on a date, she, the last words were always, Elaine, remember <laughs> who you are. <laughs> and Paul's kind of reminding us who we are. And so I think we minimize ourselves to the point sometimes where we dilute the influence and the light that we could carry to other people who need it so badly. We cannot, as Paul says, succumb ourselves to some of the ways of the world that aren't, aren't Christ-like, that don't center us on that cornerstone, because we have been reserved and, and brought here to, have light, to give light to others and to change the world. M. Russell Ballard has a beautiful quote talking about our identity as sons and daughters of God. He says, you are and always have been a son or daughter of God with spiritual roots in eternity, that predestination that you talked about. You are first and foremost and always will be a spiritual child of God. It is an eternal truth written in big, bold capital letters. Understanding this truth, really understanding and embracing it is life-changing. It gives you an extraordinary identity that no one can ever take away from you. But more than that, it should give you an enormous feeling of value and a sense of your infinite worth. Finally, it provides you a divine, noble, and worthy purpose in life. Just what you were talking about, Elaine, it changes everything about our lives. It changes the way we act, the way we speak. It changes the activities that we partake in when you understand and know who you truly are. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you both for, for sharing your thoughts, your insights, your experiences about our second topic of putting our divine identity first. And for our audience, you've been great. Thank you so much for bringing such a wonderful spirit to this episode today. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover in footnotes. Stay with us. I feel like the spirit communicates with me mostly through peace and a good feeling. I haven't been one of these people that hears big phrases or sentences. It's been just a feeling that everything's okay, that and it's going to be okay one way or the other. Most of the time, it's a very still, small voice that just speaks to my soul and lets me know that something is right, or something is wrong, or something that I may need to do. But I always know it's the Spirit when it puts me in the direction of Jesus Christ. Mostly it's a burning in my heart. If it's not a warm feeling or a burning or there's a stupor of thought, I know it's not from God. And then you have to go, hmm, I know that's not from Him, so let's rethink that. And He knows me well enough that He knows sometimes He needs to pound me over the head or give me a, woo, Stephanie, this is for you. You need to be listening. Because I think that we need to learn to listen in all different ways, because all different situations we're being talked to. We just need to listen.
Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from Ephesians with Sean and Elaine. What is really fun is we have props. We yes, love we having some objects to look at and discuss. And so, you know, we had touched on earlier about this, this metaphor of building as we've talked about the organization of the church. Uh, Sean, do you want to kind of Walk us through a little bit of it and explain what we have in front of us. Yeah, just a really nice object lesson, right? That you, you're building a building and it needs to be stable. It needs to be steady. We have a nice brick wall here. And when you start removing things from the foundation, uh, some may have done the object lesson with the Jenga tower. You, know, you start pulling things out uh, from the foundation and it gets wobbly pretty fast. Yeah. And then, of course, this isn't exactly like a chief cornerstone right here. This is more like a brick, but it could be, right? But you typically have a cornerstone that would, would sort of uh, fit very squarely at mm -hmm. the corner of the building. It's the first one that you place. And so let's dig into how this functions in a building. And I think there's some insights that come about how Christ can and should function in our lives. So let's look in verse 19, let's go back there. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So there's that building imagery. It's a house. Elsewhere, he's gonna say it's a temple. You're built upon what? Upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You gotta have that foundation secure. You need apostles, you need prophets, or the building starts to get wobbly. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So what does a chief cornerstone do? That's the cornerstone, if there's four of them, that is placed first, and it needs to be trued, right? right. You, you gotta get it both vertically and horizontally. You gotta get it level. If, if it's not level, you've got problems, it throws right? Everything else off. You've got the Leaning Tower of Pisa or, or something <laughs> like that, I don't know, right? Uh, so, so you need it to be horizontally true and you need it to be vertically true, right? Or you, you need those two different things to line up because if you've got it tilted, then of course the building's gonna go ski -womp. By the time you're done with that building, it's gonna be wrong. And, and what's interesting is you may not even notice initially that it's yeah. off, Yeah. but the more and more you build, you, the more you start to recognize that, whoa, we are so far off and it all starts with setting that cornerstone. And there's the value of Christ being the cornerstone because he is the only trustworthy and true one. He's, he never changes as far as who he is, what his perfection mm -hmm. is. Uh, we can trust Christ and then you true the building to him. And that's, mm -hmm. it carries all the weight, right? That chief cornerstone is gonna sort of bear the weight in a way mm -hmm. of the rest of the building. And it's going to predict how that building is gonna end up looking. Good, yeah. it's so good. <laughs> so one of the things that I wanted to revisit and I wanted to hear from you, Elaine, about verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. How important is it for us to avoid some of these deliberate crafts of men to deceive us? You know, I think it's really important. And there are some that may say that we follow blindly, mm -hmm. but we don't. Uh, at least we try not to because we need to have the validation that, that what's being taught to us is true. And personally, I can say I've tested the words of prophets, seers, and revelators. I've taken their promises to heart. I've applied them in my life. 
And I can just say, because I'm older than you two, <laughs> that I have received the blessings that were promised. And, and if you want to know if a prophet is going to guide you in the right way and, and, and you'll be happy with following them, I think it's just, you just try out what they're yeah. asking you to do. I think President Nelson gave us five things not five so things. long ago yeah. of how we could increase our spiritual momentum. I'm doing those five things because I'm testing out that because I know that what he's taught me is true. Mm -hmm. So I think it comes from um, just trying it out, just experimenting with mm -hmm. what they say. Mm -hmm. And then you gain a testimony, hey, th this really works. And I'm a recipient of greater blessings than I would have had if I hadn't done those things. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. You know, as we talked about earlier, in addition to being able to uh, be prevented from some of the things that exist in the world. One of those is the battle over our identity. I remember uh, one of my first talks, the, the church audio visual made a, a, a video uh, and put it on YouTube. But the way they introduced me underneath, it said, a disciple of Jesus Christ, comma, Elaine S. Dalton, wow. tells her story about running the Boston wow. Marathon. Oh my goodness. And I was just like, I love that. <laughs> and so that's, that's an so identifier that, that I so would like to take on. Yeah. yeah, that's great. The other reality with that identifier of being a child of God is that it's so universally unifying, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So some of these others, and it's fine, we're all, we have differences, we got things yeah. that make us unique and, and that's okay to be unique, right? But these, the, the label child of God, that pulls us together across those divides to say, I. If I understand better who I am, and, and you were both talking about this before, then I understand better who you are. The more I love me, the more I love you, the more I love you, the more I love me, and it, it works. We lift, me lift thee, and thee lift me, and we ascend together. You know, one of the things that uh, is addressed in these chapters that can help us combat some of these, the evils that exist out there that we haven't had a chance to talk on, that I love teaching, is in Ephesians chapter six about the armor of yeah. God. Let's see, this verse 10 of chapter six. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Mm -hmm. And so this imagery of being able to spiritually protect ourselves. And as Paul is trying to help the saints understand is, you know, through physical means to kind of demonstrate and show how that has happened. You mind walking us through some of these? So this is really a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle for, for the souls of, of men. And we know God's agenda is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of men. So this is, this is big. And the first thing he says is to gird our loins about with truth. Okay, so he's talking loins. like, And I've pondered that a lot until it finally hit me. This is chastity. This is being pure. Mm -hmm. And when we know the truth, when we understand the plan of salvation and the truth of that plan and what procreative powers are given to us, the power of God to act for God and to bring other spirits into the world, when we understand truth, when we gird our loins with truth, then we will be pure and, and chaste. And once we have that, I used to teach virtue a lot once we're virtuous, we have access to every other power. So with that, you can go to the next power. Because I think these are mm -hmm. all powers that we have to navigate in the world today. 
Well, and as we walk through them, let me just give a quick nod to this idea of the whole armor of God, not a yeah. part. Some of we, Most of us are better in one area than another. <laughs> some of it, we just have some spaces that are more challenging for us. And, and maybe to sort of work on those areas rather than standing, you know, we don't want to be Achilles, you know, with a, the Achilles heel. We want the whole armor of God. And armor tends to slow you down and be a little bit heavy and a little bit, it takes time to gird it on. And then you move a little bit more slowly in battle. How nice would it be to not have any armor and just rush around and not be weighed down by those things? And yet, what happens if you don't have armor? You just don't last very long, mm -hmm. right? Look at David, though. Yes. You know, he was he was <laughs> given some armor, and he said, I don't need this because I have God on my side. The, the armor of God <laughs> is what we want. That's a, a good point. Excellent. Well, I guess there is, you know, the, kind of a, an interesting image with that is that in a moment, he was okay. But when you look at the, the, the collection of his acts throughout his life, uh. you can see how, you know, you can be spared for a moment with just a little bit of armor, you can get away with certain things, but that protection has to last. And we see unfortunately with David, how there were some major, major chinks in his armor that led to some very, very poor decisions throughout his life. So whole armor, Sean, whole you're, armor. Armor. you're good, you're good we're, at that. We're gonna, we're gonna go with, good. we're That's gonna really go, good. they're both good. <laughs> All right, so we said loins girt about with truth, right? And then we've got the breastplate of righteousness. Mm. And that breastplate, of course, covers that which is most central to us, the heart, the heart. but also the other vital organs, right? And and righteousness, I, you know, I've got a friend, and this maybe applies also to the idea of having our loins girt about with truth, who said at one point, he said to me, you know, I wish we'd talk less about chastity and more about kindness. Yeah. And I thought, that does not resonate with me very well. I'm like, yes, we need to talk about a lot about uh, uh, kindness, but righteousness, it, it has this protective power, both that we are protected from the wiles and the things that might draw us in, but it helps protect those around us as well. Living in a covenant relationship with God helps me be uh, not just a more powerful, but a safer human being to be around, right? There you I, go. I, I treat others better when I'm when I'm got the armor of God on. I love verse 16. Above all, I'm fascinated with this, above all, meaning most importantly, taking the shield of faith, mm. wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of, of the wicked. And I've thought about that. Why above all, the shield of faith? And so I'm thinking, okay, what are the first principles and ordinances of the gospel? Hey. Faith, everything starts with our faith. That's your shield, that's your, your protector. Uh, it's your first line of defense against anything. Before anything can get to your other parts, it's that shield. And if that is intact, you can take a little time perhaps mm. on, on strengthening some of, the, some of the other areas. But to have that shield, it's, it's, for me, it's proactive. You yeah. have a choice. Yeah. You, you're, you're building the strength of that shield by the choices that you make, by the actions that you take on a daily basis to protect that first line of defense against everything that, that comes our way. Understanding who you are, you're gonna act according to that and that's gonna strengthen that shield. That's really you great. You said a huge word and it's act. Hmm. Because faith is a principle of 
action. That's great. Faith in Jesus Christ is a principle of action. So well, That's something I wanted to mention as well is this very Latter-day Saint and maybe others, uh, there are others who see it this way as well, of faith not as something that happens to you and that you don't have any control over. You're sort of a puppet on the end of the string. Well, I'll have faith if I feel it spring up in me, but faith as a choice that agents make. I choose to believe. And if I'm having a hard time feeling it, but I, st I choose to stand. And then that shield imagery of it being this very active, it's not a passive yeah. defense mechanism, it's a very active uh, defense mechanism. I really like that. How about this one, the sword of the spirit? I hear over and over again, prophets, seers, and revelators teaching about the spirit. In fact, when President Nelson was made a prophet, the three of them spoke together at general conference for the first time and every single one of them gave a talk on having the Holy mm -hmm. Ghost mm -hmm. as your guide. So the sword of the spirit has got to be huge for all yeah. of us for a number of reasons. First, the spirit warns and comforts and guides and teaches and testifies, makes you better looking, we talked about <laughs> that. But it also enhances us in ways that I don't think we even understand. So I think that makes us more innovative, it makes us more perceptive. And I think there's an access to something else when we have hands laid upon our heads and are given the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that is spiritual gifts. So we have access to a multiplicity of spiritual gifts that will enhance us even further, make us even better than we could even imagine. So the sword of the Spirit, I think, is huge. Mm. That when Joseph Smith died, Brigham Young had a vision of Joseph Smith, all the thousands of things he could have said to him, and the one thing he says is, tell the people, get the Spirit. Mm. And then Brigham dies, and Wilford records, Wilford Woodruff records a visit from Brigham Young, the one message, tell the people to get the Spirit. Mm. Same thing, President Nelson, as a prophetic, powerful prophetic figure says, get the Spirit. And then he sort of gets out of the way, so to speak, yeah. and lets us learn that gift. It's really beautiful leadership. There's two we missed, I'll just, if it's okay, I'll just mention them quickly. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I think these, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those that proclaim <laughs> peace. I think he's actually yeah. probably building on some Isaiahic imagery there. And this idea of proclaiming, testifying, being one sent forth. And then the helmet uh, of salvation that our thoughts given joy and were centered in the hope of salvation that centers in Jesus Christ. And then I wanted to circle back around with this idea that this battle isn't humans against humans. This isn't us against some other group on earth. This is us against discouragement. This is us against this is evil. Huge. This is us against things that would destroy our homes and our children. Uh, this is us against anxiety and we are linked hand in hand, arm in arm, with all of the people in the earth saying, let's, let's battle these things. We need to battle these things and we have a role to play as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. Elaine, uh, we, uh, we mentioned we have some, some props. You have some beautiful seashells. <laughs> are you wondering about these seashells? I am. I really, I genuinely do not know They're so what pretty. these are for. Okay. They're beautiful, so please teach us. So. This is an interesting one because uh, my husband and I traveled to uh, Costa Rica. Mm. I got up one early one morning, my husband went with me. We went out on the beach to have a run 
and the entire beach was pink. The entire beach, for <laughs> as far as you could see, was pink. And as we got down on the beach, we realized it was covered in these seashells. Wow. We couldn't run because we would smash them all. So I said to my husband, just, they're so beautiful. Let's just pick them up and take them back to the kids. So we started picking them up and putting them in, holding them in our shirts. And I said, now don't pick up the broken ones or the chipped ones, only pick up the ones that are the most beautiful and the most precious. And he said, okay. <laughs> and then as I bent down to pick up some shells, the spirit whispered to me, these are my precious daughters and they are all beautiful and precious. And after I got that impression, I picked up the cracked ones and the chipped ones and every single one, and they're all unique, they're custom made, and no matter what kind of a little defect they have on them, they're absolutely beautiful. But that was a preparatory learning, I think, for me to understand our divine identity and the divine identity of every person, even with cracks, even with chips. We're all precious. We're all beautiful in the sight of God. Wow. Elaine, that's beautiful. <laughs> and, and can I just testify for a moment? This is a beautiful way to live life. I want the world to be filled with people who feel that way about their fellow human beings. Yeah. So, yeah. I'd like to hear from, from the both of you do you have any favorite passages or anything from, from these chapters within the book of Ephesians that have any special meaning or that you would like to share uh, and or discuss? I have some good verses. Uh, so Ephesians 3, and uh, let's start in verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is talking in this very personal way that he has. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is sort of the point we've made a few times, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, right? This doctrine of the, the father and the child, common childhood, so to speak, of all, all humankind. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, mm -hmm. may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God." That's pretty good. Wow. That is pretty good. Uh, wow. when, when Paul gets going like that, it's hard <laughs> for the heart not to sing yeah. with what he's doing there. So, All right, Elaine. My favorite the, one is, you are a child of light. I've heard you talking okay, about so that. It, you, I, I was at, just looking at it, chapter five, chapter verse, five eight. verse eight. Okay, eight. that's yeah. my most yeah. favorite thing. If, yeah. if we can keep that in our minds, you are a child of light. And everywhere we go, if we can carry his light, things will be di different, I think. Verse 14 talks about a light as well. Wherefore he said, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Mm. There you go. <laughs> so what does that look like? How have you seen that light change others, Elaine? Well, I think actually our physical bodies are receptacles of light. Mm -hmm. And I think we're here to gather light and truth. And it says something in the scriptures like, as we seek that, the light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Mm -hmm. 
And you've all been in the presence of people who, I'm in the presence of two <laughs> men right now who just radiate light. And I thank you, you were, for that. You know you were thinking the same thing about her, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> you like, took my life. I am so grateful <laughs> for you, men Mary. like you who live the way Paul teaches in Ephesians. But uh, I think as we gather that light, uh, the scripture that also comes to mind is in Doctrine and Covenants, and it's light cleaveth to light, mm. and virtue loveth virtue. And I believe that as we gather that light, we can teach the gospel of Jesus Christ without words, because light will come and cleave to others with light, and that will be part, I believe, of the gathering and a new way to do missionary work. So I love ye, mm. our children That's of great. light. That's great, I love it. Me too. When did you first discover that light within yourself and how has that helped you to come to understand who you are? Ooh. Well, I think I discovered it when I was in primary. Hmm. And I know this because it was my favorite song. I have a little gospel light. I'm gonna <laughs> let it shine. Oh, you remember? Hide it under a yes. bush. Yes. Oh no, I'm gonna let it shine. <laughs> and then the other song that just planted it in my heart was Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. Mm -hmm. A sunbeam. I'll be a sunbeam for him. You know, and I used to I used to walk to and from church. It was just a couple of blocks away. So I'd skip around just seeing <laughs> Jesus wants me for a sunbeam all the way home. So I think that's when it began. The quest for light is never ending. And I think there are lots of things happening today. A lot of our trials that we're given can dampen our light for a, a moment or, or, or a long time. And I think it's something we have to continually work on. And I'm Again, so grateful for scriptures, for prophets, seers, and revelators, for sources of light, especially the temple. That's where I gather more light than any, any other place. But I'm grateful for the gospel, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, and for his atonement, which in the end will make everything okay. And for the enabling power that it gives me in the world today, I know I can do hard things because I know he made that possible and I know him. Thank you, Elaine. I have admired you from afar for <laughs> so long and you have so far sweet. exceeded my expectations to, <laughs> to sit here and learn from you and just, and Sean, you can, I, I'm sure you feel the same way, to feel of the I goodness yeah. and the work that you've done. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Sean, thank you as well. It's always, always a pleasure to work yeah, with you. Agreed. And for you at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion from Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you received. Come Follow Up is a learning and teaching resource. For clips, insights, artwork, and additional materials, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. And join us next week as we study Philippians and Colossians and discuss becoming new through Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.